driving back uh, to the station now, so I'm asking Alan to give a historical perspective, legal perspective on the Brexit debate, our position. Um, we tried to uh, broach the subject yesterday about Schumann and what he might have thought of where we are today with um, the European Union, particularly Britain's uh, place in it. Um, and I had an interesting conversation with Alan yesterday about this, and I just thought we ought to try and capture it in a uh, slightly haphazard manner on the way back to the train station, uh, rumbling down our lane, which is probably producing quite a bit of noise. But Alan, can we go right back and talk about how British law sat or sits with uh, with EU law and why Britain in particular is a, a bad fit, why we are an exceptional case in a sense. Does that make a yes. question? Well, um, the, uh, when St. Ethelbert of Kent, the uh, first Christian Anglo-Saxon king, baptised, St. Bede tells us that he began to make laws after the Roman fashion. And he doesn't explain, it's a tantalising comment, uh, doesn't explain it. Um, but we know that the, uh, the, the Roman the Roman legal system was codified in the 530s by the Emperor Justinian, um, which fundamentally changed its character so that it became uh, the, 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 the product of a single imperial will instead of being accumulated over many, many centuries from a great number of different sources of law, edicts of magistrates, um, decrees of the Senate, uh, plebiscites of the people, the original twelve tables, um, and all sorts of all sorts of different ways, including uh, laws created by emperors. And those had been codified by the Christian emperors, but but only the laws made by the emperors had been codified. The fundamental basis of the legal system remained a, a, a more multivalent republican structure. And um, uh, whereas in the, Justinian codified everything into a single code promulgated by him. Um, and so there was something much more uh, totalitarian, perhaps that's unfair, but certainly much more statist about the, uh, about the structure of the law in the surviving Roman Empire in the East. But that never really, nobody, it had no impact in the West because Justinian's reconquest of the West yeah. didn't take. Um, so, so, so when it says that, uh, that he began to make laws after the Roman model, it can only mean in the Roman fashion, not the actual content yes. of the Roman laws. And if we think about what did people know in the West about, about Roman law and what it was like um, in the Dark Ages, um, really the, the, the great resource was this book which might be described as the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Dark Ages called The Etymology. It's written by St. Isidore of Seville. And it, it sort of is it's this kind of mini encyclopedia intended to transmit knowledge of many, many different areas uh, in a society in which books you know, are worth more than a village and, uh, and take a very long time to produce. And it has a section on, on law, uh, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's based on um, Gaius's Institutes written in the second century. It's much more conservative, more Republican, earlier vision of Roman law than that expressed by Justinian. And, and particularly in Justinian's Institutes, which is a kind of guide to legal theory that goes with his code, um, uh, he invents this principle to justify the emperor issuing laws on his own authority. 
Lex Regia, and um, the principle is um, the pleasure of the emperor has the vigor and the effect of law, yes. since the Roman people, by the royal law, have bestowed upon them the full extent of their own power and sovereignty. And, and this, uh, although it's actually a, a principle invented to justify a particular invention, novelty in the Roman legal system, it, it ends up being very influential and, and it stands behind the kind of statist conception of the law and its place in society that that some um, that you see in, in in contractual theories such as those of Thomas Hobbes. Uh, there's a whole tradition stemming from this Lex Regio, which is different from the original Roman legal tradition in which the authority of the law came from the fact that man is a social and political animal. Yes. And, and naturally is in modern society that needs rules. I, so, I remember something from that era and it came out of like the bar somewhere area somewhere in the Spanish area and they said um, we elect you to be our king, you who are no better than us. Yes. It was something really very yes. Um, it's just the, that we need somebody to, to lead us, so look it's gonna be you, but just you remember. That's the oath of arrogance. Right. Yes, yes. And, and, and it says, uh, it, and it lists the liberties which he must respect, and then it says, and if not, not. That's the last <laughs> line of the. Yeah, uh, not. The, yes. um, but, um, uh, yes, the, so the. Um, uh, I would say the English legal system, based on precedent, more closely resembles the theory of the earlier original Roman legal system, if not the content. Um, so the content is, is essentially natural law informed by Christian revelation in a structure um, corresponding to the theory of Roman law from an earlier period than that of Justinian. Um, but then uh, in the 11th century, uh, Justinian's uh, codification was rediscovered in the West and, um, and it was, uh, medieval lawyers were terribly impressed and of course it was very useful and, and it was way one of the reasons the codification occurred is that rather like with the English legal system now the Roman legal system before the codification required a, a huge academic apparatus and libraries and libraries of books and, and, and that just didn't correspond to the realities of the Roman Empire as it was struggling to redesign itself in order to survive in Justinian's time so codification made a lot of sense um, as it were uh, what Justinian was attempting was a sort of Encyclopedia Britannica version of the of, of Isidore's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Guide to the uh, Dark Ages. Um, so, so the the continental jurists concentrated in Bologna were delighted with, with the rediscovery of Justinian's code, and uh, it's it swept across the continent. And um, but it came to a halt in the Channel because the English legal system, the common law system, had developed sufficiently. English lawyers were sufficiently proud of it that they simply they wouldn't accept it being supplanted by the Roman law. So, so for the rest of the Middle Ages, the English common law system was a, a peculiarity um, of, of England as against continental Europe. Um, but then, as a result of the vast colonial possessions of Britain, um, climaxing with Britain ruling a quarter of the population of the world and a quarter of its surface. Um, the, uh, that ends up becoming the legal system of half the world. Yes. And so you have these two great parallel systems, the civilian system, as it's called, and the, 
Commonwealth system. And there are two ways I've, I've heard it epitomised, which I think are quite suggestive. One, one is um, sometimes they say that in England we have liberties, where on the, whereas on the continent they have rights. Uh, and and what, they, what that's supposed to mean is that in England, society pre-exists the state and the state is a structure yes. for, the, for the benefit of society yes. um, and you can do anything so long as there isn't a positive law promulgated uh, to prohibit you from doing it. Um, so just to, to clarify, the state exists for the benefit of society, of society which is something that and its only value is in, in to propagate those so it has no value if it doesn't well, it, uh, it's serve that law, law, law is derived from morality in the sense that morality is a description of how to be a flourishing, happy human being. Yes. And, uh, and, and, and the part of the English legal system which just corresponds to natural reason and natural justice is the common law precedent-based part. And then when you get to those things which Roman law calls jus civile, the, the, the things which are specific to a particular jurisdiction like side of the road you drive on or how many pennies there are in the pound those things are determined by statute um, and um, but anything else uh, you can just do what you like and uh, these are the liberties of an Englishman whereas uh, on the continent the state is primary and the individual is secondary um, and you have rights which is a list of things that the state allows you to do and for everything else you have to ask permission um, so, so the, the, the the order of things is completely inverted. Yeah. And another another way in which um, I've heard it, uh, a friend of mine pointed this out to me the other day. Um, in in continental Europe and in general in civilian countries, everybody is obliged to possess an identity card. Yes. A state-issued identity card, and they are obliged to register where they are. If they stay more than a few days in any place, they have to tell the local authority, the mayor's office, or whatever, um, where that they're there. And it's a criminal offence for them to go more than a certain distance from their registered abode without possessing their ID card. And if a state official, a policeman, or whatever, asks them to produce the ID card, and they're more than that distance from their registered address, they, they, they're obliged, under legal penalties, um, to produce that ID card. Whereas in England, if a policeman comes up to you and so much as asks your name without reasonable grounds for suspecting you or committing a criminal offence, the policeman commits a criminal offence. So, um, so when we came to join in, in the 70s, these yeah. two diametrically opposed view of sort of the human persons yeah. and the freedoms, the diametrically opposed view of what the state is in relation to the individual, how did, how did they, how was that brought together in European well, law? The, the European legal system is very cleverly constructed so that some, uh, the, uh, some some uh, some laws which are passed by the EU are what used to be called directives. Uh, they, they, they tell the, local, the member states to to take the contents of this directive and, and, and translate it into its own legal system. Uh, and some of them are, are what's called regulation, or used to be called regulations. Um, the language shifted a bit over the years, um, and they they directly become law in all of the different member states. And, and the way in which now, in in continental systems where they have codified law, uh, they, those they're just added to the code, and nothing nothing fundamental has changed. 
but in, in England, where we have common law, um, uh, they've used what's called statutory instruments largely to implement these uh, European laws. Statutory instruments are, are um, uh, secondary laws, which are which are some primary laws, a statute of the Act of Parliament empowers ministers to create these secondary laws. Um, and uh, so long as the, the, the Parliament has given notice of them on a notice board somewhere in a basement somewhere, as long as <laughs> a certain number of MPs don't object by a certain date, they just go automatically into force. And what this has done is um, it's, it's slowly assimilating the English legal system to a more continental model. And of course, there are, there's a lot of dispute over, over what the uh, over how what the volume is, but even quite impartial observers have, have conceded it may be a, a, up to 50% of all law as things stood um, at the time of the referendum uh, was being made in Europe and not in Britain. Um, the, the Lord Denning, famous judge, uh, once famously described as, a, as, a, as an incoming tide that, that couldn't be resisted, um, slowly transforming the English legal system. Um, but I mean that that that's so. But uh, I'm not trying to be jingoistic about this. The the, um, the these these are only peculiarities of of England because of the of, of the sudden entry into the Western Latin legal tradition of the Byzantine codified law in the 11th century. So really. It, it's just that, that that great gulf between the Latin conception of the Roman state and a sort of Hellenistic conception, um, which used to divide the West and the Adriatic, that that gulf was repositioned to the English Channel yeah. as a result, result of that discovery, uh, discovery in the 11th century. So your position was we we did damn irreparable damage or have done irreparable damage to the English legal system? Well, uh, not necessarily. I think I think uh, after the departure from the EU, depending on how it's how it's managed, yes. uh, the the inherent structure of, of English law ought to reassert itself and uh, the creeping codification is slowly be eroded. It's just interesting having this conversation now because of the uh, the drafting of a paper uh, where the government, British, the Conservative government of all governments, not uh, Tony Blair's government, who tried it eight years ago, but Tony, uh, but um, the Conservative government hoping to legislate uh, to change the law in favour of a the state granting twelve-month license for homeschool families, of which we are one. Uh, which is a sea change in the law, whereas in the current British law, the family is the, um, the, the provider or the insurer of the child's education as a fundamental right. It's, so even if we sent our child to a, another school, it would be still our um, responsibility to provide that child's education, whether we subcontract that. But now it's going to become the state without any, well, I mean, there is a public consultation, but it is an extraordinary change in the conception of what an individual or a family is. Yes, it's very dangerous erosion of the English conception of law and the role of the state, um, because the fact that, that the parents are the educators of the children, and they may delegate that to the school if they yeah. so choose, 
is fundamental to this idea that society precedes the state. Um, uh, and to say that the, the state is fundamentally the educator, which, which permits in exceptional cases the parents to educate their children, is, a, is, a, is, is both false, absolutely speaking, and, and, and a, 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 a serious breach in the, in the English uh, tradition of, yeah. uh, of liberty. So that's just one, I mean, I call it a small example. It doesn't feel small to, yes. uh, to me, but, and that I suppose is happening elsewhere. Okay, so, um, so we've dealt with the law side. Is there anything else that we could discuss? We've got 10 well, minutes I, I before. I think um, uh, the interesting uh, thing, reflecting on Schumann's concerns about how the European project could, in theory, go wrong. Yes, that's um, good. Yes, let's talk it, about that. Is that, uh, which, which relates to these questions we've been discussing, is that um, uh, for, for Schumann, the nature forms uh, peoples into nation states, for want of a better word, individual polities, which overlap organically, like in the United Kingdom, uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, yeah. or the Austrian monarchy uh, made up of lots of different, uh, but, but, they, but that's a natural organic growth. Uh, the, the, the existence of a universal supranational society yeah. is a consequence of uh, supernatural uh, realities, and that's why um, that's why uh, Maritain thought that the mere existence of European Federation would be a sort of implicit CRISPR. Um, but uh, but if you take away that uh, if if you take away that Christian inspiration. And this is not something which Maritain considered, but it is something Schumann considered. If you take away that Christian inspiration, um, the uh, structures which you've created no longer having a supernatural justification uh, will will try to go natural, as it is, to, as, a, as turn themselves into a super state, turn turn their turn their constituent nations into provinces yeah. of one large sovereign entity. And um, I mean, I, I think that that very much is what has happened. And, and the problem is, uh, is, is that whereas because the, the, the various national states are um, natural entities, they have their own uh, political culture in which everybody, everybody knows, um, they know their politicians, they understand their facial expressions and their, and their, and their personal quirks and they can they can read between the lines and, and and so they're able to hold their political culture and their elites to account and elections are a meaningful thing. If you, um, but that's not true because there's no natural political, uh, common political culture in a, in a supranational structure of yes. that nature. Um, it, there's no, even, even though the European Union has, um, you know, uh, elections for the European Parliament and, uh, um, which has a certain degree of control over the Commission, although it's rather limited. Um, those nobody knows who those mem members of the European Parliament are. They certainly don't know who the members of the European Parliament are in other countries. So there's, there's the idea that somebody from a completely distant part of the country uh, could be a, 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 a figure who's familiar to ordinary people, as is the case in, in Britain. Uh, you know, famous backbenchers, Frank Fields, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Chuck Edmunder, um, uh, people know who they are, um, 
but uh, that, that's not going to be the case over many different languages and many different cultures. And, and so, so what you end up with is something worse than, a, than an over-mighty national state. You have a, an over-mighty super-state, um, which doesn't, in, in which this, the people aren't even able, the, the, the basic structures of language and culture aren't even there in order to hold, um, hold those, those elites to account. Yes. Yes. Somebody said once it's a little bit like contracting your, your legislative functions to FIFA. <laughs> so how's your own uh, your own journey towards? Because you've obviously been were studying for quite a long time for the uh, for the doctorate. Did, did you did your position change over those years? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 my my family, uh, my, my grandmother is French. I have lots of relatives in France, Belgium. And and I've always, always been, since I was a child, very enthusiastic about European integration. And um, but that, uh, studying Schumann uh, caused me to to realise that, uh, that there is something there's something potentially Babylonian in, the, in, the, in those kind of structures that can go very badly wrong. And um, and, and the more I, I looked into Schumann's thought, and the more I the more I taught in. in uh, University about the, the, the current structure and history of the European Union um, and, and various encounters uh, with officials and MEPs began to make me realize that Schumann's concerns had been about supranational egotism, yes. uh, really had, were being and had been realized, and that there really wasn't a, I mean. It, this reflects a flaw in Maritain's reasoning that, uh, the, the, yes. what they call the fallacy of affirming the consequence. Uh, he seemed to think that because uh, the, the democracy in the Christian sense of the word, as Schumann calls it, uh, implies, uh, well, is implied by supernatural revealed truths of Christianity, that doesn't mean that those institutions themselves imply those supernatural truth it doesn't work both ways the, the fallacy is the fallacy is if a then b b therefore a it, it's simply not true yeah. um, um, you know, all apples are green this is an apple therefore it's green would, would be true but this is green therefore it's an apple yeah, uh, right. would not be true um, and so he uh, so yes instead of so so and, and i think again as i've said before schumann Schumann understood this this flaw, so he understood that the, 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 the benign nature of the structures he created relied on a vibrant Christian yes. culture, yeah. um, and it could assist such a culture, but only if that, that culture did a lot of work yes. itself. Um, uh, and when that began to be fundamentally shaken uh, soon after Schumann himself died, um, uh, then these structures began to drift uh, towards the kind of supranational egotism that, that Schumann was worried about. And um, you wrote, I wrote, I read an article you wrote for a paper um, mentioning Augustine. Could you just bring that that little bit of uh, thought on there? Because it was very interesting. So Augustine has quite a, um, a shocking analysis of the nature of, of the state. He takes some. Uh, he takes. Uh, Cicero's definition of a people from, uh, I think it's from De Republica, um, which is uh, 
the multitude united in association by a community of interest and a common sense of right. And that word right is jus. Um, justice. And uh, yeah, from which justitia, yeah. justice, uh, is derived. And, um, and, and, and justitia is um, uh, to render unto each one that which is his due. And Augustine says, uh, well, well, the first one to whom something is due is the creator of all things, who's the source of all other blessings and all other obligations. And therefore there can't be a true people, and therefore there can't be a true res publica, um, unless, uh, unless God is worshipped in the manner in which he is appointed. Mm. And if that doesn't happen, then, then instead what you have is what he calls a latrocinium, a brigandage, um, a community of brigands united in association by by a common agreement on the object of their brigandage and the division of the loot. And uh, so for, for Augustine, um, uh, that's it. The, the world is divided into Christ's church, which is the only true Respublica. He says there is no justice save in that, in that republic whose founder is Christ. And um, and, and the brigandages, uh, which, are, which are the pagan politics. He, he quotes uh, an anecdote about Alexander the Great um, who, who captured a pirate and he said to them, he said, Alex, uh, the pirate replied correctly when Alexander said to him, what do you mean by infesting the seas? And he replied, the same as you mean by infesting the earth. Um, <laughs> and um, so, so, so for Augustine, um, a temporal polity derives its, its, its legitimacy, a particular potential uh, temporal polity derives legitimacy through its insertion into the order of true worship, which is universal and supranational, um, uh, city of God or, or Christ Church, and he um, and, uh, and and he thought that that all other all other polities were were were, were inspired by a, a, that desire to grasp. Uh, that, that St. Paul talks about in Philippians, though he was in the form of God, um, uh, Jesus, yeah, did not think the quality of God's a thing to be grasped, uh, which is obviously uh, in some ways an, an allusion both to Adam and Eve taking the, the fruit and to Satan saying, I will make myself like the yeah. Most High. And, um, and and he's saying that by refusing to, to worship God in the manner he is appointed, um, one is claiming a kind of equality with God, one is grasping, and that, that grasping upwards also corresponds to a grasping downwards that is 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 through through the brigandage of trying to make yourself equal with god you become the brigandage which which infests the earth mm. and um and uh and, and th this libido dominandi the lust to dominate um uh turns the the pagan polities into these um competing criminal organizations uh, essentially, so, so for Augustine, the idea that you could you could have a, a religiously neutral uh, supranational society uh, founded only on a, on, on a desire for for enrichment. Uh, I mean, that that's really just an attempt to create Babylon by in vitro yeah. fertilization. Yeah, sounds very nice. If you enjoyed this episode, then please show your appreciation with a comment and perhaps even subscribing to the channel. 
If you have questions, drop them below. And if you want to go deeper into the subject, then please check out the Saving Europe book and the other videos on the channel, especially the Book Distillery podcast, where me and my blue-collar scholar friends go deeper into these very subjects with top academic guests from around the world. So until next time, thanks for watching.